Welcome to Tonic Talk and thank you for being with us today or tonight from wherever you are in your house, flat, kitchen or or if you're trying to get to sleep maybe after a long and stressful day. Uh, We aim to calm you and motivate you to think positively or to maybe make a change to improve your mental health and well-being. If the words calm, motivate, positive and change aren't an option, then just listen. And if you need someone to talk to, call the Lynx Mental Health Helpline on 0800 001 anytime, night or day. And if this podcast helps you in any way, please leave us a voice message using the link in the episode blurb. Now, this week, uh, Stuart Cooling who does a lot of work on mental health well-being projects in Lincolnshire is with us. He talks about how we make a difference in our communities by engaging people through online access, for example, and talking to young people about what they need to improve their mental health and well-being and how we can help them. Hi. Really nice to meet you. So you are Stuart. Tell me about yourself, Stuart. What do you do? And what okay. do you like to do? <laughs> okay. So I work on a project for Development Plus in Lincoln called Better Together at the moment. That's three days a week that we are working with people who are wanting to improve their mental health and well-being. And we're accessing training for them at Abbey Access Training. And also we have a therapeutic garden as well where people go along and do some gardening if they wish or they can just hang out and chat or we do some yoga uh, meditation mindfulness all that kind of thing so that's me three days a week i'm one of the mentors there on the project and i've also just launched a project in sleaford called the feel good project which is going on for um three months that's all on zoom at the moment like everything seems to be still which actually is, has worked out really well because it's allowing people to access it that may have some mobility issues that may the mental health may not allow them yet to meet up yeah we've spoken about that quite a bit about how actually through all of this it's managed to somehow enable more people to access mental health and well-being kind of uh, facility services because it's online whereas someone like myself might not need it in as much as I'd feel a bit of a fake turning up to a group but on on a zoom or whatever you feel a bit more comfortable yeah that's it absolutely and, and people can sort of blank out their faces and not have show the screen or interact so and it's quite nice they've got that little chat function at the bottom so people are using that oh, yeah. um, as well but we're, we're finding that with this particular new project the feel good project we're doing that um, all on zoom apart from a couple of sessions where i'm going to be leading um some mindful walking and some arts and crafts so then the invitation will be hey, now you've got to know people on Zoom, have you fancy meeting up for a walk? So we're going to be doing that and and we'll see how that goes. It looks like I'll probably have to split the groups because there'll still be some people at that point that really don't want to meet up. So I'll just demonstrate online what it's like to do mindful walking. Oh, that's fantastic because there are, it just seems to me that this has opened up a whole kind of different demographic, I suppose, of people that 
would not like I've never really thought about how difficult it must be to walk into a group it's but, but I mean that's difficult enough if you're going for I don't know Slimming World or Weight Watchers or something let alone if you're in a headspace where you know you need help and you know you need to reach out but you actually haven't got the confidence or the or quite accepted it yet or you know how do you then get yourself in a taxi or on a bus and and open yourself up to a whole room full of people you know is yeah that is extreme never really occurred to me like I say how just how difficult that can be do you feel like in in that way the pandemic has brought a whole new kind of meaning and access to 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 mental health and well-being facilities I think so because I think in some ways before it the the uh, lockdowns all started Uh, A lot of organisations were all working in the same way. They were hiring rooms out and they were encouraging people to take part. And every single project I've ever worked on, you maybe have like 20 people signed up and you'll probably get a regular three or four turn up. So there's a massive dropout. So this kind of new way of working has um, enabled us to kind of like get more people on, you have much less of a dropout. And then hopefully when we sort of uh, implement the meeting up side of it, um then some will still be able to to meet up and go for these walks but we were going to do this project in like village halls and and space like that but we have actually thought actually after this you know the pandemic's over or the lockdown eases totally i think we're still going to do it in the same way and do half and half meet up in parks where people don't feel trapped fresh air going yeah. through, doing some yoga doing some mindfulness so it's it's kind of woken us up and like you guys we've um, also been doing the odd podcast here and there yeah to reach out and we've got a lot a little bank of podcasts where like somebody will come to me and say i'm really struggling to sleep and i've recorded a mindfulness session around sleep and a meditation so the, the po- our podcasts are only say let's say 10 15 20 minutes long or something so when somebody comes along with a certain issue and we can say hey we've got a podcast on that take it away have a listen in your own time and then we can chat about it afterwards and I suppose with a meditation podcast, something like that, you can be quite, what am I trying to say? We, we struggled a little bit with, with, particularly with mental health and well-being, to actually quant- quantify how many people are going to benefit from it for example and that's a really that's really difficult especially where you're looking for funding because I'm assuming and I possibly shouldn't be presuming that you are funded for the work that you do so people aren't having to be in a financially stable position to be able to access it is that correct yeah that's correct I'm just kind of half and half in a way because I'm sort of like with my development plus hat um which is the charity so we're looking at always looking at funding for that but at the same time we're now looking at a social enterprise arm as well so we're going to go into organizations and big organizations and offer well-being sessions for a cost so there's going to be two sides to it and that's going to help us raise money for the charity and my self-employment side i do a lot of work for the nhs now and also lincolnshire county council so okay and they're paying me sort of like a, a freelance wage to kind of like deliver online sessions for them. That's so brilliant. I'm, I'm kind of half and half. And I know that a lot of organisations now have a budget for 
well-being so which is great i'm hoping to get into some schools as well oh, just before the last lockdown i was working at a local primary school working with those 10 year olds and they totally get mindfulness as like much more than adults uh, that you know adults have been like they've been conditioned over their life a little bit brainwashed into thinking things have to be in a certain way and they have to yeah. strive to be better all the time whereas kids remain in the moment and we do lots of fun things like uh, mindful chocolate eating and all that kind of thing. that's how i started with mindfulness there's always the way to my heart and my mind is chocolate chocolate or alcohol but obviously alcohol wasn't as helpful but the chocolate talk us through the chocolate mindfulness because to anybody that's listening and i'm and i'm really sorry to say this but there will be people listening and they'll have heard the word mindfulness they'll have heard the word meditate they'll have heard the word yoga and they'll have rolled their eyes because yeah. there is still a lot of you know <clears throat> well, this is just the new way of saying blah, 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 blah. But just tell us about the chocolate mindfulness exercise because I actually think that was the one thing that turned my scepticism around and, and made me go, actually, this is this this is a whole other way of brain training. That's all it is, isn't it? It is training the brain absolutely to be in the present moment and with, with the chocolate, so any mindful eating. Uh, I was trained to actually deliver it with raisins, which I think, I thought, nah, you can't do that with kids. So let's take, I think it was Christmas. So we had the, you know, Aldi do these big chocolate bunnies and stuff. So we kind of yeah. like all snowmen and took one of those in each. And um, so basically, normally what people would do if they weren't being mindful, they would just open it up, they'd eat the whole lot, they're probably talking to the mates, they're probably on their phone, whatever. <laughs> they'll be doing loads of things all at the same time. Then you ask them, what was that like then? Oh, I just wolfed it down. I didn't really notice what happened to my body or what it tasted like. So you slow it right down and you put like the, okay, hold the chocolate in your hand and like look at it and notice what you're seeing so notice the the shapes the uh, texture have a smell of it and i took ages before i allowed them to actually turn <laughs> and they were screaming at me but but it actually helped them to kind of be in that moment and their minds weren't all over the place and at the end of it i, I asked them and it, you always get the same kind of response i never knew top chocolate had such a strong smell I never knew that my mouth would water so much. The only thing that came into the mind was that I was being cruel by stopping them from eating it. And then they started eating it and they said they've never tasted chocolate in the same way. And, and, it's, and, and there's so many benefits, not only um, to, for being mindful with their food because it slows them down. It's a good for weight loss because like people, instead of wolfing down their chocolate or wolfing down their food, they um, are taking time, they're being with it, they're um, being curious about it, where it may have come from, the textures, the tastes and all that kind of thing. And in turn, over time, if you are mindful like that every day, then it, it grows that part of the brain that deals with um, stress and anxiety. And it helps you to be able to choose to respond to situations rather than react. That's a really good way of putting it, actually. I, yeah, to, to respond... Uh, with thought and your brain in gear rather than react, which can often give someone a very different reaction. You know, they, they see something that isn't actually, or you say something that actually isn't true to you or... 
Yeah. And the, and this is just a fun way. And I'm always looking at ways of like injecting fun into mindfulness sessions because I'm trained to deliver an eight week course. But sometimes with some people, it doesn't suit them because it's, it's almost too school like. There's a lot of information and history and stuff like that. So I'll just turn the history part into a quiz and do a bit of a quiz with them. So, yeah, but but it's it's interesting doing the mindful eating and, and you tend to get the same response from everybody about like, oh, I never knew that they, it would taste like this or never knew it's chocolate smelled like that and but it's great yeah i found though that the biggest thing for me as an adult doing that was it was and and i probably am uh, quite an immature adult i suppose in some ways where the chocolate activity worked on me but what it took away from it what what it took away from me was any kind of scepticism about it was meditation or it was I had to be spiritual or something to be able to accept it or blah, blah. What I got from it, I, I literally just said, okay, I tried to focus on it and I was suffering with anxiety and depression at the time, but I, I tried to focus on the chocolate and my mind wandered. And then yeah. I forgot what I was doing. And and then I was like, hang on a minute. Oh. And the one thing about the exercise that I did was what they reminded us that when we begin mindfulness, if we've never done it before, and if we do suffer with anxiety and depression, so therefore mindfulness is possibly not one of our strengths at present, that we can't torture ourselves, we can't get cross with ourselves when we wander off our thought. The whole point about, about it is to... Just bring that mind gently back. He he described it. I think the the practitioner described it. It's just just gently guide your brain back onto what what you were doing, and that was experiencing the chocolate. And that was the yeah. hardest thing for me. And I think anyone that goes to sleep, or sits down in their car, or gets home from work, that then is, or or sometimes at worst, going through hell all the time in their head and every conversation they've had and every way that somebody looked at them and every action that they've taken during the day, they're analysing, they're worrying, all of that. Mindfulness is virtually impossible to start mm. off with. Yeah. And such a skill. It is, and and, um, and we, we tell people, you know, every day is going to be different. Sometimes you're going to really maybe struggle with mindfulness. And if you're doing like just a meditation, you may struggle with that simply because your mind is like full of thoughts. But the fact that you know that your mind is full of thoughts is a ma major step in the right direction. So it's mm -hmm. acknowledging it and just keep either coming back to the breath or the chocolate or whatever. And, and it's allowing it to be like that, giving yourself permission to accept things for what they are. In, in that moment. So if your mind's busy, you're on edge like this, and so noticing in your body where you're feeling that busyness, it's, that's all part of it. And, and I have days, and I, you know, I qualified over a year ago now as a mindfulness teacher, but I have days where I cannot do a sitting meditation. So I go for a walk, um, or I do something else mindfully, like you can have a mindful shower and notice like what the water and the temperature is. And there is one act that you can do where you can turn the shower off on, onto freezing and then notice what happens into the body. So, <laughs> oh, I can pretty much tell you what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's, there's a lot of fun to be had with it, I think, as well. So with the, with the, you know, a serious message. And I've, I've been doing some sessions with 
Lincolnshire County Council now for about four or five months and I've seen real progression in people and I'm trying to get them also to journal because I don't know if you do journaling at all for like I haven't I mean I've done it I think I've been journaling really since I've been well in that I will I, I tended to find the negative during anxiety and depression the negative journaling really really unhelpful but what I started to do was I got one of these apps I mean this was all from being shown that mindfulness and all of these practices can really help you come out the other side of it. I think there's a lot of places with mental health where you're not going to be able to access mindfulness. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, you know, if somebody's going through grief and if if somebody's going through um, suicidal thoughts, those are two areas where mindfulness might not be right for you at this time. So yeah, It seemed to me it was a coming out of the dark tunnel yeah it was, that's when you... my head is just above water how do I what can I now cope with and mindfulness is just a really gentle way of getting your brain to go okay well in in order to not sink again today at least even if that's all it is then we can just do a bit of this and a bit of that and I just found that journaling kind of those positive days where I was able to do some mindfulness or I did notice the birds yeah. out in the garden things like that that's the sort of journaling I was doing but what how how does that work in terms of the mindfulness then to be honest then I've, I've sent out, out a load of journals to uh, participants on the Feel Good project this week and um, and I put like a little thing together some prompts about what you can put in your journal now it can be literally anything at all from like swearing so you could because it, you go, I feel like this week uh, yeah. and I feel it here and there to like putting down like how your practice has gone so like okay so I did this today my, my head was fairly clear I managed to do some seated meditation for 10 minutes um or the next day it might be like I really struggled today but I know that this is kind of like temporary and tomorrow's a different day and um, they could do drawings um you can sort of like write down positive things, what you love in your life at the moment uh, and stuff that you maybe want to lose from your life. Maybe like, I don't, this person's toxic. I don't want them in my life anymore. Uh, and you can put a goal in by April. I will have cut off from this person or so there's so much that you can put in there. And, and I, during my sort of journaling, I look back and you think, what the hell was I talking about? <laughs> and you think, but it's great because it's like a mind dump. So, that's another thing that you can do is, is really offload everything from up here onto a piece of paper. And then if you want, you can burn it or scribble it out or whatever. There's so much you can do with a journal. I think it is worth saying as well that, oh, I'm really, I went really roboty then. <laughs> can you hear me roboty? Have I got no, a problem you're... with my internet connection? I, I, you're just coming across the same to me, so that's oh, fine. Okay, I seem to be getting like a feedback in my headphones that like I sound like a robot or someone ah. from Doctor Who. No, it's all right. Or, yeah, Dalek. That's the word. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I am getting a bit of Dalek still. I hope Ben can sort that out. Anyway, what was I going to say? I think it is worth pointing out as well that again, when you're suffering with grief or you're in uh, the depths of depression where you are maybe thinking of hurting yourself um, or, or others or that you, there is a part where people may be listening to this and just going, Puh, journal, you know, because I was, I was very much like that for a long, long time. But it's, it's almost like when you feel it's the hardest to write in it, that's when yeah. you need to be writing in it. 
Would you agree yeah, with that? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's like it's like the whole meditation and mindfulness thing. Like people sometimes when 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 they're feeling that like they're trudging through mud in life, that is when they you know really try and sort of like incorporate mindfulness. Because a lot of people just do it when they're well, and then sort of like forget about it. Or vice versa, I found actually. So I've got people that actually, when they're well, they will just switch off from it all and think, I don't need mindfulness anymore. But really, you need to be kind of doing it as long as you're well enough to do it, as we spoke about like grief and, and yeah. severe depression. So if you're well enough to do mindfulness, meditation, journaling, then do it all the time, whether you're well, not well, and just make it a habit. It, it doesn't take up much time uh, and you can, you can be, you know, do lots of things mindfully. You can do lots of journaling uh, mindfully as well. So, so yeah, it's it's a thing that I feel that um, should be done as a constant. Can I put something to you then as well? Because I've been astounded today at some statistics that I've seen regarding the level of suicides of young people in Lincolnshire, particularly, and it's it's upset me. It's really worried me, and I hope that what we're doing I mean you're a part of of helping people I want to be very much part of helping people and I'm only hosting a podcast but I'm talking to people that can help hopefully these other people could I put it to you that your journaling needs to take a step into the modern world because I think a lot more people would be keen to journal if it was in an app yeah and it was a bit more ticking boxes or selecting a smiley face yeah because that's where I feel and I'm not particularly younger generation you know I'm really not you know I'm over 40 but I still found an app to me I was on my phone anyway and I had it on my home screen oh okay I'll do it and then you sort of answer maybe a there's a couple of there are some nice kind of mood apps out there but I'm just thinking for what you do you know that is that the next step is that where you can see this going I think I think for some people definitely some of the people that I support aren't very good with technology and that that's even like our age sort of like 40s and stuff like that and then you get others that are, are hooked on technology and then some that want to actually get away from it and have mm. something physical and creative it, um, would they? Can you see them running side by side, though? So you, yeah, you're that's in a program, it. you've got a 25-year-old, a 35-year-old, a 60-year-old, you know, a 42-year-old or whatever. Can you can you see that as being another offering to to allow more people to find it accessible? I think so, yeah. So it's not something that would wipe out the other, Absolutely but I think... Not. I think it's. Uh, I think there's benefits of having both on offer, and and some young people whose brains are like going so fast, yeah. and they're probably thinking, oh, I don't want to get a paper out. That's so old hat. And um, so they get mobile phone and just, you know, like you say, like it might be easier to just select a smiley face and stuff like that. I don't find that it's about paper and pen and it's old hat. Mm. I mean, I'm like I say, I'm not of that generation. It that might well be the way they're thinking. We'd have to, we'd have to, we'd have to ask people. Maybe some of our listeners can tell us about journaling. But it's almost like that commitment to having a book and having a pen. And if you suffer with some sort of uh, issue where everything has to be perfect, I, I'm i very frightened. I've got a book that's got two entries in it and I have to write with a razorable ink. Because if I'm particularly anxious and I make a mistake, 
that could be the trigger. Yeah. You know, I mean, not nowadays, I'm not saying that that's it, but, but simple things like that are are just, it's, it's less of a commitment to access the app on your phone because you sort of go oh well if I must you know it's what's good for you and you know you and you want it you have to want to do it anyway but it's kind of less of a commitment than writing it down and getting a pen and paper and having a minute and you know yeah that's it and I think um also with the apps they can give you a little notification and a nudge to do it I guess there's going to be that sort of thing and I'll be honest, during my uh, mindful te- mindfulness teacher training, there were days when I think, do you know what, I really can't be asked to actually write anything in here. Or it was becoming a bit of a chore to actually get the book out and, and do something. So in the end, I started to carry it around with me. And if something came into my mind, then I would do it. Um, so that kind of worked for me. But I can see everybody's different and you get the creative types of people who will write reams. They, they, they like paper, they like pens and, and we're seeing that that's all ages. And then I've got, I'd get some older people that would actually rather use the app so or rather have the technology. So it, it's funny, really. There's a, but part of it, what we're trying to get people to do is is disconnect a little from um, mobile phones the ones that are kind of like on them all the time and sort of like coming up with other ways of recording stuff because um, I know when with younger people when I've sort of took classes and stuff they've struggled to even put their phone away during the session or they they, they feel attached to it and, and panic when it's not there and it's quite good to do a mindfulness meditation using a phone and like what what does it trigger in you? What what are you feeling when you're looking at your phone? What you what do you feel and see when you see a message come up on screen? What's it feel like to take somebody to take it away from you? Where are you feeling that? And it's it's quite interesting to sort of get the responses back from that. And and yeah, it's it, mobile phones are a bit of a, a love hate thing, really. Are they? They are. I just I, I keep thinking to myself. I I I know that. The whole mindfulness, what's the word when you've, it's a discipline, I suppose, for want of a better word, practice, art. It's lots of things, isn't it? It's kind of rolled into one. Yeah. It, it is about taking away, you know, those, for example, the mobile phone and disconnecting slightly from the digital world in order to be present. But I, I just think the staggering amount of young people that aren't accessing mental health services. I think that love-hate relationship, I mean, I, I don't like my son being on, on a phone, but, you know, it, it's his way of communicating and it actually makes him happier to be able to communicate with people yeah. through his phone. Okay, yes, there's boundaries. You've got to put time in where you don't have your phone on you or you can be able to leave it at home without having a panic attack. Yeah. But I think we've... We're and we're maybe avoiding the use of digital technology because we know that it can be damaging to them, and that's maybe where we're missing a large yeah. group of people. Do you would you agree with that? I mean, what what is your sort of demographic? Do you find you work with as many young people as as older people, or have I, you got uh, quite a broad range? Actually, I, I was my background is working with young people. And a lot of them are from deprived backgrounds. So they, a lot do not have a smartphone still. And so you can imagine like you've got this 20, 22 year old person that maybe has a smartphone phone or one of the older ones, but they haven't got the funds to be able to have credit on it 
or have a broadband at home so that the we do see some barriers because the projects that we're working on we've created whatsapp groups podcasts and uh, facebook pages and stuff like that so they can access information and help and guidance but I would say there's probably 50% that are actually unable to do that because of funding. They've got the older phone or they can't hook up to the internet some, somehow. And that's wow. why we've struggled during lockdown. We've lost some people because they're unable to access Zoom and things like that. So there's... It's, it's, I've been sitting yeah. there going, what does this mean, digital isolation? I don't, I don't, mm. I don't really get why you wouldn't be able to I mean just shows how fortunate I am and I am grateful for the fact that my son will always you know had a laptop the minute yeah. he did one had broadband we've even doubled our broadband speed so that we can both be on at the same time you know but I I don't think the majority of people and I do consider myself quite an average person can imagine that that is the case what do you mean they've not got broadband what do you mean their phone yeah doesn't have credit what how do we are we going to lose a big chunk of these people to suicide because they are still out on a limb and and if we gave everybody that access could we help them better what do you think do you think that is the answer with the young i think so and i think it's you know it'd be great if there was some funding out there that could give like people a mobile phone and some credit to be able to use it online so they can get online because places like the job center for instance has all been online over the past few months and people have really struggled to kind of get to grips with that and that's all ages like because the libraries have been closed uh, so they've not been able to go in and use a computer and job search there so it's yeah, there's definitely, it's the people I tend to be working with on these funded projects where where they're struggling to access it. And we've, we've said, like, would you be interested in doing this, this group on Zoom? And no, I don't like Zoom. Or no, I can't access Zoom because I haven't got the means to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, they could be living in supported housing or uh, hostels. We are also dealing with some street homeless. Um, so they're living in shelters. So, so... Yeah. It's hard to reach those people. And what percentage would you say? I mean, I'm asking you a statistic, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not asking for this, the actual. But in your mind, how, how many of the people that you have come into contact with are digitally isolated? What sort of percentage are we talking? Are we talking 1%? Are we talking 25%? I would say, you know, 25, 30%, probably on some of our projects, even more. And then you've got people that, uh, I've got people that have got the latest mobile phone, but don't like or don't have the confidence to use it. So they don't have the confidence to kind of um, join in like stuff like this. So chats on Zoom and stuff like that. So a few older people like that, a couple of older. Yeah. And not not saying elderly, like, oh, they don't know how to use it. They they know how to use it and they've got the connection. But it's all just too, I think it's all just too terrifying. And therefore they go, oh, I'm not dealing with this soon. But do you find it's the older generation that you're having that particular issue with? Or is it again, is it across the board? It's mainly older, but 
we do get like I've got a guy that I support in who's about 37, but who has got like he's got a mobile phone, but you tell him, you know, you say, Oh, how about putting Zoom on there? I can put it on for you. So you can you can do that for them and download it, but they won't answer it. They won't they won't sort of like speak on it. And it's also like in general, like people who have got some mental health problems don't want to talk on the phone. And for some reason they've got used to texting and and yes. stuff like that. I've so, known, well, I, we was, I, I remember mentioning a podcast a while ago that there are times when a good friend will text you and the fact that, you know, how are you doing, I think was the phrase mm. we were talking about at the time, and that if I avoid answering that question or if I don't text back, they will wait a little bit and then they'll check in a couple of days later you know or something like that because actually there is there does get a point when i'm low when i can't actually speak to anybody yeah. on the phone because I, I suppose i feel like all i'd do is be sad and miserable and bring them down and actually i don't want to do that because i don't want to wallow in it but at the moment i just need to sit with it for a bit yeah you know and so i guess that's i can kind of understand that and on zoom i guess again it's that next step isn't it if you can then face people on zoom you can then look to facing them in person but it's a very gentle and gradual process whereas you're 37 did you say you're, you're, you're yeah yeah attends your sessions so that's obviously what's most comfortable for him yeah, he's he's one on a project that will attend face to face sessions. So I'm sort of one to one. So I've encouraged him to sort of like access things like we've got a healthy eating project um, and gardening projects. And he will go up with me. He'll back off if there's too many crowds, but he's got used to it. But then he's he's in a position at the moment where he's not engaging in anything at all. So he and he said to me. I know you've texted me, I know you've called me, but I haven't got the energy mm-hmm. to actually send a reply. And and I'm seeing that quite a lot as well. And 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 that's taught me a lot. I've learned a lot from the people that I support because I used to be the sort of person that got like, took it personally or got frustrated if somebody didn't respond. Yeah, so people get so cross with me. Yeah, people get so cross with me. Why didn't you answer my text? Because it didn't need an answer. But that's what you do when you receive a text. You 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 respond. Not in my world. <laughs> Not in my head. Not always. No. Depends where my head's at at the time, you know. If I've got the energy to text back, yeah, okay, that sounds great. But if I haven't, oh, it's just easier just to leave it. Cause it didn't yeah, matter, and that's know. it. And even I've had days where I thought, you know, I see somebody ringing and I'm thinking, I haven't got the energy for that person today. And it's, you know, different people bring out different triggers in people, don't they? So, Absolutely. We've talked and We've talked at length about that on our podcast as well, how mm. different personalities, you know, can can be more draining on your resources. And sometimes yeah. you have to choose who you speak to and, and when, depending on how you're feeling as well. But I, I feel like I've deviated quite dramatically away from your projects and what you do. And it's just because I've been so shocked by this young generation, these levels of suicide in Lincolnshire. It's just absolutely shocked me to the core. And I, I just feel like, I don't know, going and knocking on every door just to make sure that everyone's got the NHS helpline, which I will give the number for as well at the end of this podcast and will be available on the Tonic Health website as well because I think it's so important for people to know, even if they're not in crisis, that they've got somebody to talk to. But 
if somebody was, you say your Sleaford way, mm. if somebody felt, if someone's listening that thinks, you know, well, mindfulness is something that I've not done yet, something I could consider, what's the sort of criteria for your courses and what you do? How do you get your participants? Who are these people? Okay, so on the project that we just started, we're sort of dealing with people who, so say if you've got a hostel, for instance, we're not so much going to be supporting the staff. So if the staff have got like, oh, feel a bit, a little bit stressed, they could do with some mindfulness, it's more likely to be service users of that project. Young people who may may not be in work, who are struggling with their mental health, meeting up, maybe a bit isolated because they are, they during the lockdown, they've like lost the confidence to go out there and meet people and meet their mates. So that, that kind of person. So, and we have, I have got some people on there as well that are in work, but they are really struggling with carrying on and, and the thought of going back into an office, for instance, has caused some mental health issues. I bet it um, has. I, I, yeah. I mean, it's very easy to say, I think as a, as a well, a now well person, but obviously the reason I do this is because I have been through my own struggles with uh, poor mental health. But as a, as a well person, currently I, I still get those butterflies that, of course, if you've suffered with true anxiety and depression feel like the first signs of anxiety so it's really hard mm. to actually tell them apart and those little butterflies come even with me just going back to two or three schools because that's what I do I go into schools and teach music but I can't imagine what must be going on in some of these people's heads who are who have now become almost safe at home and this is this is great thanks I this is all I want you know, which we we know isn't helpful and yeah. it, it isn't manageable in the long term. How do you? How are you helping that kind of? Yeah, it's really difficult. It's really difficult because um, a lot of the people that we support on um, uh, the project in Lincoln that I do during the the lockdown, it was almost like a relief for them because they were being pushed slightly out of their comfort zone to to join in things and they were grateful for it and you could see progress in their mental health towards positive mental health now that the the pressure has been off and they don't have to take part in anything i've seen a mass disengagement and that no 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 i'm uh, i'm okay i'm all right thanks i'm really happy doing what i want to do and it's like we're having to start from scratch some have like disengaged totally and don't want to be part of it anymore. And uh, others have said like, I've gone back to square one, but I do want to do something. I do want to work. I do want to be able to uh, go out to the gym or do meet up with mates or meet new people, but they don't know where to start. So it's almost like we've, right, we're just ripping up everything we've done in the pan. Let's start again. Because, you know, th there's an element of like, okay, we could do everything online, but, how is that going to help you to meet people like and get out there we find that with 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 the garden project that we've got just by getting some people to meet for 10 minutes and having a chat in that environment where there's not too many people there's nature they can plant something they can look after the grass cutting or or anything like that we see massive leaps with people who do stuff outside in the fresh air even if they're not interested in gardening they're not i'm not interested in gardening at all but like yeah, just come up and have a chat then or come up and watch people do yoga outside yeah. we'll just stand there and laugh at them while they do yoga yeah, that's it. 
yeah. <laughs> long as we laugh inwardly. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, the, it's it's going to be a big task, I think, to to re-engage some of those people that have got used to just being at home. And I suppose, again, <laughs> I keep deviating onto young people, but I, I, I then there's a massive part of me that just feels so ignorant because the more people I speak to, the more I realise there are like these whole groups of people that I've never considered before. And I suppose when you're talking about children then who've perhaps they've not been identified yet as I suppose I'm talking young people rather than rather than young children but young people as in your teenagers who school is keeping them okay it's keeping them just about and they're but they're sort of partly in the system as they're suffering with maybe you know teenage depression they're they're going down the the self-harmers I mean that was like a massive problem in 12 to 14 year olds boys and girls and then the pandemic came and we went right okay off you go you need to go home we're not yeah, helping you yeah. manage that anymore. And it's like, <laughs> they've just got to start again, haven't they? They're potentially in a worse position than they were. I was, I was speaking to my niece, who's 13, and she was saying, like, she's a very outgoing girl. She loves, and she's got into a fitness and stuff like that. And she's really struggled doing lessons at home. She said, I hate being, I said, I like my screen time, but like to be forced to be looking at the screen constantly all the time is really hard. And I've been contacting schools about going in and doing some well-being sessions and, and some mindfulness sessions with them. I was going to be booked to go and do one big school round the Sleaford area. And I contacted them and said, oh, um, we've had our well-being uh, budget cut. And I was like, you're joking. Just when the kids need it, you've took it away. And you think, well, isn't that maybe more important than something else they may be doing? I don't know. I'd love to know the name of the person that thought cutting that was a good plan and then take that to the DFE and set the Department for Education and say, have you, would you suggest that this person has made a sensible decision? And I, I don't think anybody in government would say that was a good decision. Nobody in education or government would say that was a good decision, would they? No. I mean, that, exactly. Crazy. And that comes in the week that I found out about um, two suicides in two separate secondary schools, one in the Lincoln area, one in the Seaford area. And, and obviously you've heard of some as well. And there was the boy that went missing in Lincoln. He was found dead. And you think, you know, something needs to happen here. People are ignoring young people and their their well-being. They, they, there's lots of projects for for homeless for mental health projects but what about the kids that are maybe not telling anybody that they are really struggling you know what about the kids that are full of attitude and anger yeah. that nobody feels they can communicate with because there's so much attitude and anger but actually they're the kids and I mean there's people listening that probably be you know saying well you can't help them if they're not prepared to admit that they need the help but I think there's things that we've said this across the board and we want to do a special on mental health and well-being in in education and, mm. and 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 
what we think, you know, would be more helpful. But is there a way of, you know, tackling those those issues in a better way so that they don't become attitude and angry individuals who then take their own life or round here? We've had we've had three cases of murder from of secondary by secondary school students in South Holland alone. Mm. And that's scary because that is surely all to do with mental health too, isn't it? Of course it is, yeah. And and you look at social media, I saw like a post today triggered me and I thought, okay, the, there's a picture of a guy and he had committed a robbery, but he's gone missing. And so, you know, people are concerned about his well-being. And then you get all these comments from people who are saying he's scum, I hope he does go missing and blah, 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 and all these negative things. But people don't seem to understand that actually this guy may be suffering from really poor mental health. And there's a reason why he's gone out and robbed. And, you know, people don't do it because when they're well. Um, so... And you get all these things and then you think that's the downside I've got. I've gone off on a tangent now, but like that's the downside of some social media sites where you get all these comments and that person could be reading that and it could like, you don't know what it's going to do to them. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, we've, we've tried so hard with the youth to say, be kind. And if you haven't got anything yeah. to say, don't say anything. If you haven't got, haven't got anything nice to say. So I think they were Thumper's words, weren't they? Good old Disney's Bambi. Thing. Yeah. If you, if you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say nothing at all. Yeah. You know, because it can be so hurtful. And these yeah. people as well, I found with social media, and I was discussing this with a friend last night, a great length, six-hour conversation I think we had, not just on this subject, but we were discussing how a opinions are formed and how the media and social media have portrayed that person who's robbed it's it, we've already been planted with the with the opinion that he is scum and because he because he is a criminal rather than having two aspects of our brain where we go well glad he's gone missing at least at least he's not hurting anyone now but then the little angel on the other side you know or your other whatever your other side of your brain saying but he might be mentally ill and he probably needs our help you know we can't seem to if everybody could just have those two sides to everything just before you make an opinion think where did you get that opinion from yeah i know exactly and i I think some people when they're posting stuff on social media they they don't they ignore that other side the angel side and they for a response they think that this is the right thing to say. This is going to get me some likes. This is going to make me feel look good. But it's having a devastating effect on some other people, maybe. And, and that's part of their mental health as well, yeah. isn't it? It and is, their well-being yeah. Because they're doing that to make themselves feel better because there's possibly something missing there or some ill mental <laughs> it's, uh, it's very, God's very God's never-ending. <laughs> it, it is, but we were having this conversation last night and we were just saying, you know, oh, God, this, you know, is, is there hope for the world? You know, is this, is this mm. it? Are we, are we, have we had it? Are we just all going to, you know, not be able to cope and blah, blah. but I do think it you you have to keep perspective in as much as obviously with these podcasts and with what you do we are working with a percentage of people we think there's probably more than that in fact mm-hmm. we know there's more than that but there are people that have come out the other side as well yeah have you got any any particular projects or any particular clients without obviously describing them too too much in detail where 
you felt what you do really has made a difference and you have seen that person flourish or you have seen that group really benefit from it what what are those success tell us about some of those successes yeah so like the the guy that is currently disengaged he i I see him as a success because he wasn't accessing anything he was a heroin user he's managed to he's on the script so he's managing to sort of manage that now manage that side of him and he wasn't going out the house much apart from to go and get gear so he was really sort of at rock bottom um and then he came onto our project it took a lot of baby steps of just phone calls texts and then meeting up um, and then going for a coffee and then showing him the garden where we work then showing him some training that he could potentially do he got to the stage where he was so in touch with the way he was feeling and 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 actually saying things like i know i feel rubbish but I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to continue to do this. And and so he's he came such a long way to the point of he actually led a session with other people. So he was we were making bird boxes uh, on the garden one day. Uh, lovely session. And he naturally took over and like he and I said, like, this is a real good side to you. I said, this you you are a leader and you've got like an um, empathy there for other people Mm. and you you know this is a goal and that helped him he's going through a crappy stage at the moment like people do but but we've had had a lockdown for the last year has been anything but enabling you know for for the likes of people who've been isolated anyway isn't it yeah exactly and sometimes on these projects we, we as staff members we 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 get disheartened when somebody maybe doesn't reach their full potential but then we always remind each other and say do you know what if if we weren't having that input and they weren't part of this project where would that person be they could be down the route of offending they may not even be here we don't know we're not saying that we're saving everybody but you know in the case of for example heroin there's Mm. always a very good chance that they're going to take a bad batch or they're going to overdose or they're going to end up being on the street and beaten robbed murdered you know they are so so vulnerable yeah and and i think it's really difficult for people to hear because they go well what why did you become a heroin addict in the first place then you loser i think there is that attitude so much and and well yeah but your, your mental health shot because you're an addict no I think you'll find the, you know, chicken and egg. I think it's not that difficult to realise that you only go for heroin (laughs) if you're missing something, if mentally you are not stable or able enough to cope with life. Yeah, and and, and this guy was telling me that, like, you know, coming off of heroin, it's, it's not so much just about the drug. It's about, like, the preparation of it. It's going out there and getting the money to actually be able to do it. So you take all that away, there's a massive void in their lives, and it's like, how am I going to fill that time? What am I going to do? I am so fidgety. And it, it keeps saying to me, it's not just the drug. It's it's about the, the whole um, lifestyle of around heroin and the people that he was associating with and the time it took to actually score and that opened my eyes as well to the you know to that and and also like talking about like how people are judging people on you know are you dirty smackhead and all this kind of stuff and calling them names like that and i said to somebody once i challenged have you ever actually spoken to 
one of these people? Have you asked them what their life has been like as a child? Often you find that they, they've had abuse in their, or abuse and neglect leading to this habit because they just want to block it out. So there's so much more to these people than... Um, they're no different to the likes of us that have used alcohol or prescription drugs yeah. to self-medicate. Absolutely. The, I find myself very lucky that I was in a position where I had people around me who I could talk to. I had I went to, to a GP early on and I was very fortunate again to find somebody in later in life, not so much in my early 20s, but these days, you know, the last sort of 10 years. But this isn't the case for a very, very large proportion of people. And that's how they become alcoholics. And that's how they become smackheads, for want of a better word. Addicts. It's just an addiction. Yeah. You know, there are there are a lot of addictions out there. It doesn't make you a bad person. No, exactly. No, and I and I find some of these people that I work with are some of the kindest, most talented people that I've ever come across and very creative. To, to be able to do some of these drugs, you have to be creative. Well, don't even get me on creativity and how Lincolnshire doesn't appreciate it and yeah. how the arts are so, we are so culturally deprived. Don't even start me on that, Stuart. That's a whole podcast <laughs> in itself, just me ranting. But uh, there is a massive portion of people that aren't being reached yeah. you know, at an early age. Are we doing a better job with younger people now? Or is what you're doing very much... I mean, obviously, you've got the projects you've got up and running, and that's fantastic that you're having those successes. But are you sort of thinking, well, actually, it's almost, in my opinion, this sounds terrible because I wouldn't want any of them to feel that I don't feel for them, and I really, really do. But it's almost too late for a large percentage of people once they've hit that heroin addiction, once they've hit alcoholism, when they've started abusing others themselves you know, where where is your where where do you see the future of mental health going or coming from? I should say, um, it's either a prediction or or what I feel should happen. Mm. Uh, it needs to go right back to the school and and like primary school level because we are the the projects that I've been on in the past. They're all dealing with the outcomes of neglect, abuse, and all that kind of yeah. thing, and 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 the poor background of upbringing so so and and like you say they get to some people get to a level where you, you maybe have to accept as a worker that they're not going to get beyond this they 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 you know they'll be in a, abusing themselves with drugs alcohol whatever you get them to a certain level and you have to accept that maybe that's where they're going to be that's that that is it but so I see the future really needs to be sort of dealing with the younger people and 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 getting into schools and and doing these well-being sessions with them and and introducing mindfulness as a, a as a tool that they can then use later in life when they need it. It's again, it's it's arming them, isn't it? Giving giving them a toolkit to strap to themselves so that when they need it, they go. I'm feeling overwhelmed or I, I, this isn't a situation. What have I got in my toolkit that can help with this? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and that's that's where we need to be starting, I feel, in schools. We I mean we lost connections as a service where kids could go they have issues within school oh, and they used to go to the place called connections. Most towns had them. And so they could just go and talk to somebody outside of school who's anonymous and, and they knew that that safe space was there for them. That's gone. The youth centres have gone pretty much you know we need some of those things coming back really where where you can there was even like back in the uh, early 2000s late 90s people going out on the streets and talking to young people outreach support that's where we need to be getting back into and, and services like that and and maybe doing like sessions with kids in the park rather than just you know being bored and uh, and struggling not having anybody to talk to I'm finding that they are doing more and more. I've definitely seen a difference in the way that my son and his friends talk about social media, vulnerable people. They're very much more aware of it now. I'm not saying that they can't grow up to be nasty teenagers who will Mm -hmm. troll or whatever, but they do seem to be a lot more aware and and just things like my son my son tends hockey and they've almost they've changed a little bit of the way they work from when we were there what a year and a half ago and and everything seems to be sort of just slightly more geared to let's make sure you know everyone's doing okay and oh look okay well don't don't get stressed you know just take take a minute or whatever so as long as educators I suppose are constantly keeping this well-being at the forefront of all of their work we we could be growing up with a whole new generation of emotionally more intelligent children would that Mm. is that the phrase yeah I think so yeah yeah and more the children that are more in touch with themselves and knowing what what is right and wrong for them celebrating their individualness as well everybody has some form of mental health whether it's positive negative or somewhere fluid in between that you know everybody has days when they they uh, need to check in with themselves and I, I always give people advice of just every day ask yourself what is it that I need right now in this moment yeah. and then go and do it well that's I think that's a real positive to end on as well because that is a strong way of looking at life what do I need what do you need right at this moment make that happen and then you might be able to do what you're what you should be doing or what you're meant to be doing after that because there's a lot of that in life as well isn't there well i'll leave you with a voice message that we received from someone who tuned into our podcast uh, last week remember be the change in the world that you want to see goodbye hello this is tom from lincolnshire wellbeing charity hw mix we're preparing a suicide prevention campaign and want different men who've been affected by suicide who can offer their insight guidance and advice for how we can create a campaign that makes a difference and saves lives If you're interested in getting involved or finding out more, please visit hwlinks.co.uk forward slash end the trend or send me an email as tom at hwlinks.co.uk.
And just to add, huge congratulations to Tonic Talk for six excellent episodes so far. Long may it continue.